the thing that I always remind people that come from really difficult stories is like, look how terrible, how hard that was. The things that, that happened to you. And like, notice how much you, you and God's grace together worked that that didn't have to be the end of the story. That, that something else was, you were able to rise above that, that God was able to bring you out of that, that that didn't finish the story, that didn't kill you. Okay, so I'm excited about this. I've been wanting to do it for a really long time. We finally made it happen. Yeah. Uh, I am here with Brandon Smith. You are a licensed marriage and family therapist and the director of the Christian Psychology Institute based in Louisville, Kentucky. Yep. But in full disclosure, you are also my counselor and um, a lot of conversations we've had and then just things with our church and our congregation, what we're talking through right now. I've wanted to have the opportunity to just sit down and ask you questions that I'm curious about, but then also that I know our people are curious about. So first and foremost, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So we're doing this series called Shapes mm -hmm. and we're talking about the things in our life, the, the formative things that shape us, the influences in our life. And I wanted to start with family of origin because I believe that family of origin is the single strongest influence in shaping us and making us who we are. Mm. And there seems to be maybe this stereotype, I don't know if it's wrong or it's right, but there seems to be this stereotype that everything seems to always come back to mommy and daddy issues. Mm. And even I know like when I talk to people who are afraid of going to counseling, they're like, I don't want to go to counseling and just like talk about my mommy and daddy issues. So I guess my first question for you is, is that true? Like, does it seemingly always come back to mommy or daddy issues? How, how important is family and how it shapes us and forms us? Mm, that's a good question. What do you mean by mommy and daddy issues? Like, what, what does that mean? Like some, they did something or didn't do something that impacted us in such a strong way that now we're 25, 35, 55. And what we did or didn't get from mommy or daddy is like influencing the way we're living our lives. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's something to that. Uh, I wouldn't say that we don't want to sum, you know, every experience that we've had with our parents and our families of origin down to just those particular relationships. But um, the origin of our family, where we come from, uh, it does have a big bearing on sort of like what happens later in life, primarily <clears throat> in uh in relationships, your parents give you two things. Um, they give you more than two things, but the two things that that a lot of therapists and counselors are really concerned about are the way that they um, teach you how to feel your feelings and uh, deal with life. And so the degree that your parents are able to give you those two skill sets, like how well are you feeling your feelings, how well are you dealing with all of the, the world around you, um, does tend to um, indicate uh, some levels of success or difficulty for people um, as they grow older, not only in uh, just relationships in general, but like their ability to cope with, um, with difficulty. Uh, some of that is, uh, implies their ability to stay resilient in difficult circumstances. So there is something to it, uh, but we don't want to sum everything down just to those two people because there's more than that. Thankfully, um, you know, multiple relationships are responsible for those types of things. That being said, if you had a, a story where your mother, or your father, or both of them were so primary that you didn't have much access to other individuals, then uh, their 
the strength of um, their leading, good or for bad, is going to um, have some implications for you later on down the road. I feel like one of the th- one of the things I hear a lot from people is when they're talking about their family, they seem to talk about it either in this really positive way or this really negative way that mm-hmm. they kind of think that their childhood was either perfect or it was so bad that they don't ever want to talk about it again. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something just a second ago when you talked about good, you know, let's take the two things you said about like you know, how we process life and, and uh, process our feelings. Even in the quote unquote good scenarios, because mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely a, a better way to parent. There's definitely a good way to parent or a better way to parent. We're not saying everything is equal. Yeah. But even in homes where, you know, there's healthy characteristics, there's boundaries, there's processing of feelings, even in best case scenarios, we still are influenced. I guess I'm asking, we're still influenced by our parents in ways that show themselves in unhealthy ways later in life, right? Even the best childhood influences us in negative ways. Is negative the right way to say it? Like, Later in life? Yeah, I guess you could say it that way. And also, it's not just, I mean, there are a lot of people that grew up and their parents didn't raise them. And so their their biological parents don't have as much of an impact, obviously. Okay. There's some things that they do have carry as an impact because of just genes and the way that, uh, that they did certain things uh, biologically does get transmitted. But um, to your question, are there things that feel that, that seem like they were good at the time that could sort of imply or indicate later on that they weren't so good the way that you handle things later on. That's probably true. There's a... Um, Let me say it this way. Yeah. Things that felt good at the time. For example, let's take take two scenarios. Uh, uh, a, a, a parent or a uh, guardian who shows a child zero attention. Like mm-hmm. we would all say, that's not healthy. Like yeah. the kid needs attention. Versus a parent or a guardian who gives their kids a lot of attention, maybe too much of it, too much attention. Yeah. Well, when you're a young kid, you don't feel like your parents necessarily are giving you too much attention in the moment. Maybe it feels like a good thing. I guess that's my point is like in the moment, it looks like good and bad, but later on, like you can kind of see in every way, my family, you know, my family was a ministry family and I would look back and say, you know, church family, we were in church all the time. We Mm -hmm. were doing ministry. And so I would say, man, there were so many positives but now as an adult, I can also see how so many of those positives, because I'm a sinful person, you know, were taken and maybe manipulated by myself to, to bring about negative is kind of my point. Does huh. that make sense? I guess so. I, you know, the way you'd, I would think about it is... When you say I guess so, I think you mean no. Well, I mean, I'm, or maybe I don't <laughs> fully understand. Uh, maybe that's what it is. Because it sounds like... Let me repeat it back to you and see if this makes sense. Okay. It sounds like you're saying that if... Uh, there all these good experiences from childhood, like as you're reflecting on them now, the way that you sort of like integrate them into your life, maybe the way that you're integrating those things that seemed really good aren't so good now. Uh, but like, are you, the, you're the driver of that or like, how do you, how do you mean that specifically? Um, you're, you're talking about interpretation, like how I interpret those events. Oh yeah. If that's what you're talking about. So like now, so, um, for instance, as you said in your childhood, like all those like memories of being in, in church or around church. Yeah. Um, are you saying that the way that you see it now, uh, it has some sort of like negative application or interpretation versus then? I guess that's where I'm, I'm a little lost. Well, I didn't mean to make this my personal therapy session, but... <laughs> 
to use that example, yeah. I would say that like I may put an unhealthy emphasis on spiritual leadership. Ah, uh, okay. Because that's all I saw, and I loved everything about it, and I'm so thankful for that. But if I'm not careful, even a good thing, let's take a let's stereotype like a a kid whose dad is a professional athlete. Sure. Yeah. There's so many great things that come with that. You know, money, privilege, access, uh, physical features, all of those things. But it would be possible for that for that kid to become a 30 year old and say, wow, all of those things I loved about my childhood. Now I can see them in a different way that shaped me in a certain way that maybe I wish my dad was around more instead of always gone mm. with the team. Or I'm just kind of, what I'm trying to say is like seeing it from both sides for someone who's listening or watching and saying, man, my childhood was terrible. It would be possible that God used that in some ways that there are some positives of that. And then for someone totally. who says, man, my childhood was amazing. There may be issues that are lingering that, that came out of a really great childhood. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's this really, you know, uh, psychology folks love studies. We love to read stuff about studies. Um, and so there's this really great one. Um, I, this is, I believe Kurt Thompson's the person I heard this from. So this is not something I read directly. He was either quoting this in a book or it was maybe as his podcast. Um, but he was talking about how, the most ideal situation for a brain to be resilient in the study they were looking at rats um, isn't that the um, that the subject, the person, the rat uh, only has the the best opportunities and no like hardships whatsoever. That the strength of relationships, the strength of resiliency, was based on um, having access to those things, but then having seasons or or parts of their story where they didn't have access to them, okay. and then the restoration of those things later. Uh, an individual, uh, whether it's a person um, or a rat, I guess, uh, that only had one or the other didn't have the same sort of resiliency, even if like they only had the best things, like those actually were less resilient, less relational uh, in terms of like studying their brains and looking for the, you know, interneural connections. Um, you had less good stuff neurologically if it was that you were, you know, sort of padded from all of the difficult experiences in life. So yeah, absolutely. There's, there is something to that. Another way of thinking about it though, is that that's just scarcity in general, that there's no way as a parent that you can sort of, um, create architect, uh, a, a childhood for your kids where they get absolutely everything that they need and that sets them up perfectly for adulthood. There's going to be some things that just because of your own scarcity, and the scarcity of humanity that you're not going to be able to account for that's going to set them up with some problems later on. You talk about scarcity all the time when we talk. Yeah. W define what you mean by scarcity and how that plays a role into family of origin. Yeah, so um, scarcity in the sense that um, as, as God's creation, as his children, uh, we were created to uh, receive from him. We were not created uh, to be uh, fully independent on our own. And so the things that we need the most, we have to rely on God for, we have to rely on each other for. And so we have this sense of, of like, we can't do all the things that we need for ourselves on our own. And that's just a sense of scarcity that we all carry around that's necessary. It's not bad, it's good. It's, a, it's not a flaw, it's a feature um, that, you know, we get to be God's children versus, um, you know, these automatons that he sort of like wound up and then set off to, to go do things. So you're saying... I'm, I'm a parent, I have four kids. You're saying like, no matter how great of a parent I am, right. I will release kids into the world that still deal with 
scarcity and flaws and because I'm broken and they're broken because of the fall. Right. Right. Yep. That you're going to mess up your kids. <laughs> honestly. I mean, you honestly. can come by it honestly. Yeah. But there's nothing you can do. And and when you look backwards, your guardians and supervisors and parents, most of the things maybe they did that impacted us negatively, they did it accidentally or on, came out honestly. Yeah, totally. So a good story for that is a friend of mine, um, his parents, <clears throat> each of his parents uh, grew up in a, a home that was affected by divorce. Okay. And so um, his mom... Uh, came from uh, a family where her parents were divorced, and his dad came from a family where his parents were divorced. And so when they got married, one of the things that they decided was they were never going to argue in front of the kids, ever. Okay. Because when they were kids, they all they have are these memories of mom and dad fighting in front of themselves, and that felt really destabilizing for them. And so they decided that the only thing that their kids would see was that they would sort of like live in this like neutral to positive space, which... That sounds good. Sounds great. Right? The, the issue was, is so when my, my friend uh, got, you know, became an adult and fell in love, uh, the, the woman that he fell in love with, who's a wonderful person, um, they both had opinions. They both had differences. And so they both, they fought. Yeah. Now, my friend grew up in a house where mom and dad, husbands and wives, they don't fight. And so if you're going to get married, the, the, uh, the sort of example that was set for him, the norm for him was this husband and wife that never fought with each other. Now he's in love with this woman and they're fighting all the time and he wants to marry her, but it's out of sync with his norm that he got from his parents. And so as he tells the story, at some point, like he ends up sort of in the fetal position in his counselor's office, like freaking out because he wants to marry her. And he doesn't know that that's the right thing to do because he's never seen his parents fight. Well, you said the word norm. I think that's probably a great way to think about it is the home that we're raised in or the environment that we're raised in really kind of sets the course for what we define as normal. Is, would you say that? Correct. Yeah. And I've, I've told the story at the church before, but you know, I grew up in a preacher's home. So like all these things were off limits, you know, we weren't allowed to like do like watch the Simpsons and like normal, not normal, but normal stuff in my childhood. Yeah. And there was one of the things was it was never alcohol in the house mm. ever. So I remember the first time I went to spend the night with a friend and I went to the fridge and I opened the fridge and there was like Bud Lights like on two shelves. And I don't remember how old I was. Let's just say I was seven or eight or nine. I don't know. And I remember thinking, are the police about to knock down the door and like arrest us? Like there's beer in the fridge. Yeah. Because I had never, I didn't know that dads kept beer in the fridge. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know that families didn't eat dinner around the table. I didn't know families didn't go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know what I mean? That was normal. And so talk a little bit about, uh, I shared in the sermon with the church about, you know, in the Exodus where um, God said that I punished the children for the sins of the third and fourth generation. Pete Scazzaro talks a lot about how maybe the, a better way to translate that is that the, the tendencies or the results of our actions tend to show themselves over three and four generations. So talk a little bit about how how we view normal when it comes to behaviors that we maybe pick up or ways that we process the world or whatever. Talk a little bit about how normal dictates the kind of adults we become. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically you observe. Uh, your brains are constantly recording. Uh, and so you see your mom. There's this really, there's a famous story about like the way that, that uh, the turkey is supposed to be cooked at Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, this husband and wife, they've, they're hosting for the first time. They've been married for a little while. But 
uh, they've never hosted Thanksgiving before. And they have this discussion about like how they're supposed to cook the bird. And um, the wife is, is says, well, the best way to cook it is you're supposed to cut it in half and put it in these two pans. Like, that's the best way to right. do it. And he's like, that's insane. <laughs> it's like, why would you like, like the juices are going to run out and, and he doesn't understand it all. And he's like, you put it in one pan. She's like, no, 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 like two pans. That's the best way to do it. Um, that's the way my mom always did it. And so they go back and forth. And finally she says, okay, I'll call mom and get her to explain this to you. And so they get her on the phone and she's like, well, honey, we didn't have a pan that was big enough for the whole bird. <laughs> so the, the, like the only reason that they, that they ever did that because it was normed for her. And she was, she insisted that it must be like the best way to do that when really and truly that's just what she experienced. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can cook you know, the turkey in two pans. You know, it's, we have a story about that in our family. We, we all cut the bacon in half before we cook it. Oh, yeah. And the reason is because my grandfather said that when he was cooking bacon, people would come by and eat it before they would serve it. So if he cut it in half, they could eat some of it and they'd still have enough for the table. Uh, now, three generations later, like everyone in our family cuts the bacon in half. Yeah. And I had a friend the other day say, like, why do you cut the bacon? I was like, you don't cut the bacon? Yeah. Like, I just didn't know. But like the other cool thing about that is that's also a connection you have with your grandfather. Yeah. And so every time you cook bacon, what are you going to do? You're going to think about him. Yeah. And like that's a that's a wonderful side of the way that things norms. It doesn't always work that way. You know, someone may have a story about, you know, bacon and the way that it was used in their family that's not so great. Right. And so it may be tr it may be tough for them, but that's also another type or a norm for them as well. So when it's things like bacon and turkeys, sure. It's cute. Yeah. When it's positive things like how to manage money and how to handle conflict, it's fantastic. What about when it comes to, you know, the negative ways, the, the, the negative norms that we pick up, you know, I'm sure you talk to people a lot of times that, that, you know, there's actions that they want to stop doing or they don't know why they do it. Or do you find that they can look back and kind of connect that to the home they were raised in a lot of times? Yeah, I think that the the broader, you know, understanding about norms is more sociological, like the reality that um, all of us in within certain cultural contexts grew up similarly enough that uh, our norms overlapped and we all sort of like understood them together. Um, and so those things get challenged, you know, generationally from time to time. You know, we're in sort of a, a shift right now where the norms of gender is is being challenged and, you know, we see... Uh, you know, the the 50s and 60s generation, the, the people that grew up in those uh, those decades did things in ways that, you know, Gen, you know, X and uh, Generation Z and the millennials are doing things a little bit differently. Sure. Uh, and uh, they're challenging those norms because someone said, wait a second, why, why, you know, why can't mom be the person that works? Right. You know, she's the doctor. Why? It doesn't make sense for her to stay home with the kids if uh, if dad has a fine career doing something, but you know, she's spent all this time and effort and energy to learn how to be, you know, a physician. Um, maybe it makes the most sense for our family for mom to be the physician. That's more normal at this point, but there's other ones that are being challenged. Um, and so norms are just sort of like the, to say it another way, it's like um, our brains require like a lot of energy. Like they're the most expensive part of your body to run uh, in terms of energy. And so it has all these little shortcuts that it does. Norms are um, like in terms of like a, an individual, the way that a brain is, is sort of making or, or creating shortcuts so that it's saving energy. And some of these norms or patterns are basically just those 
those shortcuts played out over periods of time in our own life and generationally. Okay, so what do we do with this? I mean, this is kind of one of the big questions that I don't know how to answer sometimes when people ask me, when you start talking about family of origin or how our family impacts us and somebody says, okay, I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to look. I'm willing to be aware or, you know, I think sometimes people feel guilty. Like I don't want to dig up the past. I don't want to make my parents feel bad or I don't want to face something that I've buried. And then, you know, like we, what do we do? Are we supposed to try to go back and change the past? Are we supposed to just be aware of it? Like, what is your advice to someone who says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to look backwards in order to move forward, but how long do I stay there? How long do I look back? Like, what am I supposed to reconcile? Am I supposed to ask questions? What do I do with some of this awareness that's beginning to develop about my past? Man, uh, that was a lot of questions. Um, yeah, sorry. So that's okay. I think the the main thing I would say is just take it slow. the The whole point of uh, the like a therapeutic process is not a fast one, um, and that's intentional because, you know, if we think about our norms, norms speed things up. Like the the way that people do things because they've always done them that way means they can do them quickly. And as we start to think about how those particular parts of our story affect us. We really kind of have to slow it down and start to observe and to consider how those things have affected us. And then based on how it seems that they've affected us, that's also going to sort of be telling about what we do with them. Um, you know, the, there could be just a, a story from your childhood that seems a little off, doesn't make sense, or you have some concerns about, but if it doesn't mean it's necessarily traumatic or uh, disturbing in a way that we need to do something with it. It may just be that was an odd thing that happened back then. Or it could be something that, that requires more time and attention, that, that, uh, that emotions didn't get fully processed, they got stuck. And so there needs to be some space created so the person can sort of like finish the work of allowing themselves to feel all of that particular feeling out through that part of their story. I feel like one of the things I've heard you say four or five different ways every time I've asked a question is you've insinuated in some way that we're not helpless that no matter what, how you were raised or what your norms were, you know, a couple of times I've asked about actions and stuff and you always kind of say like, not necessarily. And what I feel like you're saying is no matter what your family story is, you're not totally at the mercy or helpless to change your future or allow God to do something beautiful right where you are. Yeah. Thank God. Right. Like yeah. that, that he didn't give people so much power that they could ruin an individual's life without any hope that it could be different. Um, and I think that in some sense, like that's the the wonderful good news uh, that we get to experience through Jesus. But um, in in sort of like a, a therapy or, or a therapeutic sense, like that's, that's still also true, um, that uh, as a therapist, one of the things that I believe that people on both sides, whether you're religious or not in the therapy world hold to, is that resiliency is somehow baked in. Now, as a, as a person that believes that the that the Bible tells us the truth about God and who Jesus is, um, I think that he did that on purpose. Sure. That that's a grace that he's given sort of to all people, but that there's something about this desire, this this part of us that wants to thrive, that wants to uh, to live, to be alive, that that, that is a, um, that's a piece of our DNA as human beings for sure. And so no matter the story that a person has, uh, I think, or the origin that they come from, 
the the power of that um, may be really big. But then the thing that I always remind people that come from really difficult stories is like, look how terrible, how hard that was, the things that that happened to you, and like notice how much you you and God's grace together worked that that didn't have to be the end of the story. Wow. That that something else was, you were able to rise above that, that God was able to bring you out of that, that that didn't finish the story, that didn't kill you. Wow. You know? And the good news that we get to be a part of a new family, the family of God. Yeah. So no matter how jacked up yeah. your family was, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you get to be a part of a new family, which is a beautiful thing too. That's right. 